This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, folks. This is a podcast for learners of English, and this episode is all about the IELTS test, and it's sponsored by italki, italki could be a very useful service if you are considering preparing for the IELTS test. It's very important to get feedback on your speaking, to do practice tasks from the speaking part of the test, and also get feedback on your writing, as well as just to work on all of the core skills, the vocab, the grammar, and pronunciation. Uh, it may be uh, vital to have one-to-one lessons, and you could do it through italki. Uh, basically, they've got lots of English teachers to choose from, and um, you can sort of check in their profile if they specialize in doing IELTS practice. And remember, when you buy some talking time with italki, uh, they'll give you a voucher worth a free lesson. That's if you use my offer code. Uh, to get that, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk, or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. I hope you're well. Here's a new episode, a brand new episode of Luke's English Podcast. It's good to be back. This episode is all about the IELTS test. Yes, that dreaded test that many of you will have either experienced or heard people talking about probably saying things like this, like, I need IELTS 6.5. How can I get IELTS 6.5? Like they've been poisoned or something. And IELTS 6.5 is the name of the antidote that's going to save their life. Like, I need IELTS 6.5. How can I find it? Tell me quickly. Um, It's known for being a tough test. Not all of the stories are horror stories, of course. It's important to be positive. There are plenty of success stories of people who manage to raise their score to the level they require. It's definitely possible to get success in IELTS. People do it all the time. But how? Well, in this episode, I'll be talking to Ben Worthington from IELTS Podcast about various things relating to this test. This episode is full of good advice and insights into how to prepare for this test and ways to improve your score. So do you know IELTS? You may even pronounce it differently where you are, but I say IELTS. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I think most learners of English who are serious about doing things in English will probably end up considering taking an exam like IELTS in order to get some kind of certificate confirming your level, which you can then use to do something like get a job, get a visa, or get a place in a university. Uh, There's TOEIC and TOEFL as well, but those... Well, those are the American exams. Mm. (laughs) Um, And actually, I did get some questions about TOEIC and TOEFL uh, in preparation for this episode. I did get some questions from my audience, which Ben and I didn't have time to respond to in this episode. Um, Speaking personally, I'm less familiar with TOEIC and TOEFL because I've rarely had to work with those tests. I did some TOEIC or TOEFL preparation with some students in Japan, but that's a long time ago. I'm much more familiar with IELTS and other Cambridge exams, so this is what I'm more qualified to talk about. So IELTS is the standard testing system in the UK and also other English-speaking countries such as Australia and Canada, and I think IELTS is properly is, is probably now established as the world's number one English test. Uh, more and more in the United States. I wouldn't be surprised if you listening to this have taken IELTS or are thinking about taking it, or maybe you've looked into other Cambridge exams like FCE or CAE or something. Basically, it's very common for people to take this test and to prepare for this test. So it's worth talking about it again on the podcast. IELTS stands for International English Language Testing System. It's administered both by Cambridge English and the British Council, and there are centres in most countries where you can take the IELTS test. 
It's a notoriously difficult test. I think anyone who takes it finds it hard, no matter what level you are. Even native English speakers would find it challenging, to be honest. Here's a quick summary of the test. So IELTS tests your skills in four areas, reading, listening, uh, writing, and speaking. It takes about two hours and 45 minutes to complete the test. The reading section involves a number of texts, uh, three texts in the academic version and, and about five or six in the general version with comprehension tasks which test various reading skills. Similarly, the listening section has about four listening texts with various task types to test a range of listening skills. The writing part takes uh, an hour in, and involves two sections. In part one of the academic test, you have to write a description of a graph, table, chart or diagram. And then in part two of the writing test, you have to write an essay, which probably involves explaining different sides of an argument with an introduction and a conclusion. The speaking test is in three parts and takes about 15 minutes. The first part involves chatting with the examiner for a few minutes, answering some questions about yourself. In part two, you have to talk on your own for two minutes based on a cue card given to you by the examiner. And part three is a discussion with the examiner in which you talk about some more abstract things like social issues. So this test is pretty long and covers all four skills. It requires all your abilities in English, accurate and diverse grammar, a wide range of vocabulary, fluency, clear pronunciation, and the ability to to complete communicative tasks effectively in English. The way it works is that the overall score you get is converted into a band number, which is the indicator of your level across the four skills. There's no pass or fail mark. It's just a case of the higher your score, the higher your band or level at the end. So this test reveals your level in English. Levels go from one to nine, nine being the highest. So it's a tough test. People all over the world uh, need an IELTS score for various purposes. So it's an extremely common challenge for learners of English to undertake. Schools in many places offer IELTS preparation courses to help people learn exactly how to improve their IELTS score. Preparation courses are obviously important to help you raise your English core skills across the four areas, but they're also important to help you develop exam skills, which means becoming familiar with the test, familiar with the task types, familiar with the way the test is administered, and familiar with the little tricks and traps that are intentionally put into the test. It's important it's important not only to improve your level of English to prepare for the IELTS test, but also to get an understanding of what the examiners at Cambridge English are looking for. This is also true for other similar tests. To be honest, the test is so contrived and the marking criteria so specific that it's very unwise to take an IELTS test without some preparation in advance because you simply must get familiar with it and develop your own strategies for each section. So I always advise students to do some test preparation, be it uh, self-study or by following some sort of course, either online or offline. Offline options would probably be to find a preparation course in a school near you. And the online options include finding and using self-study materials and practice tests, taking one-to-one -one lessons with a tutor for feedback, using italki, for example, or finding other online resources that offer alternative ways to work on your exam skills. And one of those resources is IELTS Podcast uh, or IELTSpodcast.com run by uh, ben Worthington, my guest today. As the website name suggests, IELTSpodcast.com is a podcast about IELTS with lots of tips about each section, but also it's a website with lots of resources, videos, blog posts, practice tasks, and also paid courses for specific exam skills and services, including things like essay correction and feedback from Ben and the other teachers he works with. So Ben Worthington has been training people in IELTS preparation for some time now and has got lots of advice to share, all of which can really help you improve your IELTS score. A lot of his advice is shared on his website and in his courses, but in this episode, he's going to share some of that with us. Uh, you can sign up to Ben's full IELTS preparation course, uh, which is called Jump to Band 7 or It's Free, which is a confident name if ever there was one. If you don't get to Band 7, then it's free. Uh, you can get it at ieltspodcast.com. And Ben has offered to give 
a 15% discount on the course for listeners to this podcast. Um, So this episode is all about good advice for IELTS, and it should be a genuinely useful episode. But if you want more thorough preparation for IELTS, you can get a 15% discount on the Jump to Band 7 or its free course by using the offer code LUKE15. Okay, so that's the offer code Luke15 um, when you check out, okay, if you're interested. Now, Ben Worthington originally is from Yorkshire in the north of England. Um, and uh, you, 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 might, uh, you might notice slight differences in his accent compared to mine. I'm from the south and the Midlands. But basically, I sound mostly like I'm from London, probably. I think sometimes my Midlands accent comes in a bit, but probably I just sound like I'm from London. Uh, ben has a slight northern accent because he's from Yorkshire. Uh, his accent isn't that strong, but you might notice a few differences. Now, the IELTS test is big and there's a lot to say about it, more than can be covered in just one or two episodes of this podcast. Uh, and I think this will be a two-part episode. If you follow me on social media, you might have noticed that I asked my audience for questions about IELTS and I received quite a lot across the different platforms. I've tried to include as many questions as possible, but we didn't have time to deal with every single one. So apologies if your question uh, isn't mentioned in this uh, episode. You can you can actually ask uh, questions to Ben on his website if you like. I think there's a, uh, a space on his website where you can ask questions. So you might be thinking, many of you might be thinking, but I'm not going to take IELTS. I'm not interested in taking IELTS. Okay, so what if you're not taking IELTS? Well, this will be relevant to the large numbers of people in my audience who are taking or have taken this test, but also hopefully to those of you who don't need to take this test right now, I think it's a good idea for any learner of English to have a sense of what is involved in the IELTS test. And of course, the skills you need for IELTS are skills that anyone needs if they want to be more than just a competent user of the English language. So it's interesting to see how IELTS kind of maps its way across the language. And you can see maybe even a standard that you should be attempting to aspire to, if you like. Um, So uh, I have done several episodes about IELTS before. If you haven't heard those episodes, it's probably a good idea to check them out, especially if you're preparing for the exam. Uh, So episode 256 is called IELTS Tips and Tricks. In that episode, I tried to include as much of my personal advice as possible into just one episode. So that should be useful to you. That's episode 256. Then there was episode 297, which is all about good approaches to the speaking part of the test. And that was with Jessica from IELTS Energy Podcast. That was episode 297. But anyway, let's now talk to Ben Worthington from IELTS Podcast. He produces lots of content online for learners of English who are preparing to take this test and he's been teaching students IELTS for a number of years. We'll start by getting to know Ben a little bit. This is actually the first time I've spoken to him and then we'll get into his advice for preparing and taking the different parts of the test. And I'll ask him some of those questions sent in by my audience on social media. So let's see what we can cover about this big test for learners of English. And here we go. Hi, Ben. How are you today? I'm good, Tah. I'm good. Okay. All right. Actually, whereabouts are you? Right now, I'm in Budapest in Hungary. Ah, really? How long, yeah. How long have you been there? Oof, off and on, about uh, two years. But I've been coming in and out of the country as well and living in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like exploring. So um, last year I was in Ukraine for a while, then in Spain, and then came back to Budapest. So, yeah, it's uh, back and forth, basically. That's one of the cool things about being an English teacher, isn't it? That kind of we get the chance to travel and work. At the same time. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, when I started English teaching, I, I realized, well, I was in Spain, and I kind of realized, like, hey, hang on a second, I don't, I can take this job anywhere, yeah. you know? And then yeah. after a couple of years, I took advantage of that. And yeah, it's a absolute, it's a massive bonus, I think. Absolutely, yeah. It's the main one, I'd say. Although I, I kind of, st- after a while, you do want to just stay in one place. Uh, mm-hmm. but it's it's nice to have the option to be able to travel and and get a job wherever you want pretty much 
totally agree with you there. And one of my goals for this year is actually to settle down in a country. And it's either going to be back to the UK, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, back to Yorkshire, possibly with all my family, or Valencia, which is which has a very, yeah, which I, I love that place as well. So, yeah, I'm just in between at the moment, it's just choosing. It sort of depends on Brexit a little bit as well, though, possibly. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's all it is it is all up in the air at the moment actually and uh, yeah maybe i'll maybe i'll have to apply to live in spain i don't know we'll see it's uh nobody knows it's it's exciting and worrying at the same time i think it is it is it is um so how long have you been an english teacher then Oof, i'd say i'd say at least about seven or eight years mm-hmm. roughly mm-hmm. yeah and how, how did you get into doing that well i was in spain and i'd finished my erasmus in murcia or mercia as, as the english say mm. and then i moved up to valencia and i was a job and to cut a long story short um a spanish sort of like education instructor threw a textbook at me and then told me to go to a school and well hey that was <laughs> that's that's how I got into it and so I was like stood in this class of like all these like six and seven year olds and I was like wow and I just kind of first I was like just doing activities that I used to do with my cousins when they were that age like playing games and stuff like that and mm. just trying to do it as best as possible and uh so they get some educational value from it in english you know and so that's how i got into it but then um yeah then it just progressed from there and i realized at that moment that i really did enjoy it and i liked seeing like the the improvement and the transformation of students so Mm. i just kind of stuck to it from there and um yeah, really just progressed and tried business English and then exam English and yeah, just different types and really enjoyed it. Okay. And then so these days you tend to specialize in doing the IELTS preparation uh, courses. How how did you get into doing that? How did you get into preparing people for IELTS? Um, well, I was doing a lot of business English and the students that I was teaching were also really into doing IELTS. And what I really liked about the IELTS exam, or basically any exam, is that you can really measure your improvement, Mm. you know? Because what, I mean, as you probably know, what doesn't get measured doesn't really improve if it's not, like, measured. And I could really see, like, basically which strategies were effective for for teaching and for passing the exam, what didn't. So that's basically what pulled me into it. I had students sort of like asking me about it and then I started researching, preparing for it, but and then I kind of just specialized in it because I, I enjoyed it the most. Yeah. Yeah. It is nice to be able to have those sort of measurable outcomes, isn't it? it Exactly, exactly. And I thought at the time, like a lot of teachers, I think they hide behind the fact that, like, we, they hide behind the fact that we're sayings like, oh, I can't teach, I can't learn English for you, mm. and stuff like that, which is true to a certain to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. But also, I think too many teachers are kind of relaxed about this and don't like seize the initiative and mm. kind of take on a take on the task of motivating and pushing and stuff like that. Of course, the student has to be equally involved as well. But yeah, it's just, um, it's just I prefer working in that, in that manner. And I suppose with IELTS, what you have, or with any of these tests, what you have is a sort of, um, you've got measurable things to work with. Like you've got specific tasks that the students have to do. You've got kind of uh, assessment criteria that you can understand. And it's kind of like, uh, yeah, a bit more achievable, it feels like, rather than just like just learning general English where, where uh, the, you know, it's hard to set, it's hard to see what your targets are exactly. But with IELTS, it's kind of like you've got to achieve this, you've got to do this kind of writing, you've got to be able to do this kind of thing in the speaking part and, and so on. 
Mm-hmm. Spot on, spot on. It's like going for a swim in the ocean or doing 200 meters in the swimming baths. Right. You know? Right. Is <laughs> And like, you know, especially with 200 meters in the swimming baths with, with a stopwatch. Mm. Like, and I guess it's possibly a little bit more stressful once you've got this criteria to go. But I think it's kind of, it's also like a bit of gamification of the whole language, you know, and you get into different levels. Of course, some students wouldn't agree that it's as enjoyable as gamification. Mm. I think some students actually have a, a, quite a stressful experience about it. But yeah, it's exactly like you said, there's like a structure, there's a path, and there's certain um, skills to pick up, develop, on the way while you're doing this so you by gamification you're talking about the fact that to an extent it can be like a game that you can see uh you know uh, improving your IELTS score as like a game with with um like the way that games have rules and there's a there's a sort of framework within which you can operate Hello, folks. This is me just interrupting this episode of the podcast for a second. Now, you just heard Ben and uh, you heard me using this word gamif... No, not gamification, but we said gamification, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I've checked out the word. Um, It's a fairly new one, uh, but it's actually pronounced gamification because it's all about the process of uh, designing an activity, for example, learning or solving a problem or being a customer so that it's like a game. So turning things into into games essentially and and sort of IELTS could be described of as a game you know it's like got certain rules and things that you have to uh, comply with and you know it's like fi- system that you've got to try and understand so in a sense it's like a game so it's actually pronounced gamification even though you just heard us say gamification it could look like gamification in the spelling g a m i you know going like that it it might look like gamification but it's actually pronounced gamification. There you go. I'll now let you listen to the rest of the episode. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a good way of thinking about it that, that, you know, IELTS is a bit like a game. But, I mean, is it an enjoyable game? (laughs) Mm, I mean, asks the student who's taken it 20 times. They Mm. will definitely disagree with you. Um, I think I wouldn't... I would limit the comparison to the fact that it's structured, and there's the the criteria mm. there, you know, mm. and there's the different levels. The enjoyment factor, um, I think, is is highly subjective to each student. You know, some students take it first time, pass with the grades that they want to, and of course, they had a whale of a time doing it and telling everybody afterwards. But for some other students, it really is um, a frustrating, depressing demoralizing a grim experience really (laughs) do you think there's a particular type of person who tends to do well in IELTS ah that's a fantastic question and this is kind of I think it goes to to work ethic Uh and this is what I I really try and communicate with um with over my podcast um there's a lot of work involved and the student who kind of grasps this and who wants to um, really put in the hours and really see it as um, a test of improving the language skills, not just their exam skills, which we'll probably go into later, mm. um, but those with this, the right work ethic and willing to put the, the time in, those are the students who will excel. And there are some students who will look for the tips and the shortcuts and will take test after test after test. And this is what I call the IELTS casino. Like students, they just want to take test after test mm-hmm. within a week, within a couple of weeks of doing the last test with the hope that by on the off chance, they might be lucky and they might get the grade they want. And then they can just forget this whole experience. But I prefer and I encourage the students to to not take test after test and go a little bit slower with Mm. the test taking Mm. and put all this effort into preparing like the core abilities right so i mean um when it comes to passing ielts is it just about i mean i guess you've got two things you've got sort of english skills and exam skills exactly um um how how would you compare those two skills in terms of importance um i think 
maybe like a sports analogy would be good if we're running. Mm. Like, you know, when you're, if, I don't know if you're a runner, but I'm not at all. I run. <laughs> okay. <laughs> more, of a, more of a walker or a more of a sit, sit downer, really. I gotcha. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, if you're running, I mean, I only know this because my brother's, um, he's quite a keen runner yeah. and it's like, it's one topic that we could really get on, yeah. uh, in a chat with it. It's sort of like your core uh, and like your lungs and your breathing ability. Mm. And then that would be the equivalent of your the language skills, right. you know. And then there's the technique, which would be your exam skills, which might be like how your foot hits the pavement, mm. you know, or maybe your running strategy. But I would I guess maybe about 70% or maybe less 60 between 60, 70% would be your actual core language skills. Yeah. And then the other part is the exam skills, right? Sort of how you apply those core skills to, to the test itself. Exactly. Yeah. Like writing in 40 minutes, for example. Right. Yeah. That is, that is quite a lot actually. I mean, if if it's by your estimation, sort of 30 or 40% exam skills, that is actually quite a lot. I mean, how many, in your experience, how many students kind of going in, go into the test thinking it's all about the core language skills? Um, I can't really say like that. I can't give you a number yeah. on that. But what I can tell you is that I've heard stories of native English speakers, mm. 6.5 in the writing test. Getting getting which which score? Sorry, you just, we, I lost you uh, for a second. Uh, sorry, 6.5. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And maybe they were applying, maybe they were doing the IELTS to apply for immigrant permanent residency in Australia, mm-hmm. in which case they probably need a seven or higher, depending. It changes each year. But generally speaking, students want to get a seven because that's what the universities or immigration authorities are looking for. And as I said, like native English speakers come out with a 6.5 mm. and they've got supremely confident language skills but they didn't they haven't got enough to sort of like push it over um over to a seven and this is where the exam skills come in like you know writing in an academic style being able to coherently express your thoughts Mm. to the answer and backing up your claims with evidence and stuff like that yeah Absolutely. Yeah. And there's lots of time management involved and you've got to be able to concentrate and you you have to get used to understanding what the exam expects of you and all these things. Right. Now, before we go any any further, um, I should just maybe ask you to tell us what is IELTS? I mean, I'm going to do a little introduction to this. I might give a summary then, but um, uh, it might be brief. So, you know, what is IELTS? Who takes it and why do students actually need it? Gotcha. So IELTS is the International English Language Testing System mm-hmm. and is joint owned by the British Council, IL, um, IDP, Australia IDP, which is I think some Australian Education Authority, mm-hmm. and uh, Cambridge Exam Board also has a stake in it as well. Okay. Uh, so who takes it? Generally, I'd say there's like three type types of students. Um those who are taking it for career reasons and probably those are usually like nurses and doctors and maybe they're in India and they want to work in the UK, Australia, or Canada, or possibly the US now because the US has started accepting IELTS. Yeah. So that's one type of, of student. Then also closely related are those taking it for immigration. So maybe they they're in China or they're in Australia and they want to get permanent residency mm-hmm. in Canada or Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's also the students who want to, the international students who want to study abroad in an English speaking country, such as the UK, Canada, or Australia. Wow. So, yeah. And then why do students need it? Well, they need to prove to maybe the, the university, they need to prove to maybe the medical board of that country, or they need to prove to the immigration authority that they can competently handle the language. 
Mm. Right, right, okay. Um, now, bef- before we actually get into the ins and outs of the test, what do you think of IELTS? Like, do you do you like it as a test? Um, yes and no. I think it would probably. On the one hand, I dislike it because it can be really demoralizing mm. for a student if they're if they're in a rut, so to speak, and they just can't get past it, and they see it as a as a real big obstacle, and it can really like affect the students. And on that hand, on that side, it is. I'm not a massive fan, but then it's also how you deal with these obstacles, you know? Yeah. On the other hand, I do like it because it's kind of like it opens doors and it's the ticket for students, you know? Mm. And I also like kind of like the challenge involved in sort of like t- um, slaying this beast, you know, and helping <laughs> students slay this massive obstacle. So I, I'd say it's kind of a love-hate relationship. One thing I do dislike, though, is... Um, that some students, they get too obsessed with passing IELTS and they focus all their time and energy on the IELTS skills Mm. when really they could really benefit from taking a step back and improving the general English language skills and then coming back and focusing on the exam skills, Mm. you know? Mm. So... Yeah, and I think as well, just one last point, is that this obsession, it's not the obsession with taking the exam. I don't think it's sort of like a very healthy attitude, and it's also going to have negative implications for the student who wants to to learn English in the future. You know, they're getting so frustrated, and in my experience, learning a language should be a little bit more enjoyable, you know? Mm, Yes. So if, if someone is in that position where their core language skills aren't quite right, but they keep going and going and keep trying the test again and again and again, playing the, you know, playing the IELTS casino, like you said, yeah, you recommend that they take a step back. And what, so what kind of thing would that involve then? If, if it means like, you know, step back from IELTS and, and go off and do something else, what kind of thing mm. do you have in mind there? Well, I would generally say... Um, I mean, this is the, this is the strategy I give for students who, yeah, who need to work on their core abilities and possibly even just forget about IELTS. But basically, it starts with immersion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just um, put your life into English. So you're listening to podcasts like yours, and you're watching the news in English. You're thinking in English. And also, I think most importantly is like if you've got a fascination with football or with Formula One Mm. or whatever, or maybe it's about biology, that you start transforming that passion into a a learning English um, activity. So if you really love biology or plants, then you start learning about biology and plants in English Mm. and kind of push the whole language thing to the background so the focus becomes plants or sport or whatever you're whatever floats your boat yeah but just so we forget about english for a bit and try and take it back to the way you learn a language naturally which is when you're not really focusing on grammar structures or pronunciation that much you're more focused about using about communicating or learning or listening and yeah, the language just needs to take a step back, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Do, do, I, do I make myself clear? Absolutely, there? yeah, absolutely. Good. That's just the idea of yeah, just absorbing the language and and working with it, and you know, working on your motivation, you know, so that you're following the subjects that you're passionate about, but you're doing it all in English. And yeah, the the idea is that as a consequence of that, you kind of start to acquire language skills, those core language skills. It's probably you know probably a good idea to. Uh, dip into the the studying of of grammar and vocab too a little bit, but certainly mm. to follow your 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 passions and just sort of absorb yourself, immerse yourself in English in an enjoyable way, um, and that that's really where you start to develop a positive relationship with a language, which is ultimately only beneficial to your core skills. Absolutely, yeah. and I think you hit the nail on the head then when you said develop a positive relationship with the language. Mm. And this is 
where you're going to sort of like see real long-term gains in your ability with the language, which sooner or later will transfer into a, into a super-duper IELTS score, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And the, just one last thing, I'd, I'd like to emphasize, like, listening is one of the best ways to do this because this is how we learn our own language. This is how we learn English. You know, first we spent years listening to the language. Then we started speaking it and then we started reading it. And at the end, we started writing it. But in schools, they completely butcher that approach and they just set you off with like writing or speaking and reading and then maybe if you're lucky some listening at the end and it is it's complete it's, it's ludicrous that they do stuff like that mm. um so yeah i just wanted to get that off my chest well i'm glad you glad you say that obviously as a as a podcaster for learners of english i'm always, ha- I'm always <laughs> happy to hear people evangelizing about the importance of listening um yeah so when people have got their core skills in order in the ways mm-hmm. that you know we've I've talked about in the past, you've just mentioned, um, and then people are, uh, are then approaching the exam. Let's go into that. I mean, I actually I do have some questions from listeners as well here. I've got loads of <laughs> questions. Um, we'll see. We'll see how we get on with all of it. Obviously, it's a big test. There's lots of um, considerations involved. We'll see how much we can get through. I do actually have other other questions about your opinions of the test. Maybe we can just very quickly answer these. I've got one from Mayumi on Twitter who said, international students have to know this test well, but how much do ordinary uh, UK people, not English teachers, know about IELTS? What about your friends back home, your family? Do they know anything about IELTS? Uh, no, no, <laughs> they don't, do they? no, nobody does. I mean, but it's, it's understandable, you know, like my brother's a physiotherapist. He's never going to do an English test in his life. Mm. You know, my sister's an interior designer. She's not going to do IELTS either. And I'm, I would bet if they took the test, they'd probably have a tough time as well. Yeah. You I know, think it's, I think, every, I think everyone um, struggles with IELTS. I mean, that's kind of the nature of the test, isn't it? It's like the way it's designed and the way it's, yeah. it's designed to reveal your score is that it challenges everyone to, to their uh, limit, which can make it feel like an extremely punishing exam to take. Exactly. Yeah, totally. But I imagine it's, it's, it's quite a common experience that learners of English or, let's say, international students who want to go to university in the UK sort of slave away over their IELTS score and they they have a tough time getting the score they need and then they get their score and they get into university in the UK and they and there they are in their first couple of weeks of university uh, mingling with like other students some of whom might be English people or British people or whatever and they might even start talking about oh you know IELTS this and IELTS that and I imagine that the their fellow students would be like IELTS what what's IELTS it must be (laughs) must be mind-blowing if you've like if it's been so important to you and then you get to the country and you realize that all the people there have no idea what this horrible thing is that you exactly experienced. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's the same, like for students learning Spanish and there's a broadly similar equivalent called the Dele exam, Uh um, which you could take in Spain. Right. Certifies your level. And if I talk to my Spanish friends about the Dele they would be completely clueless, you know. They'd be, yeah, right. They wouldn't have a, they wouldn't have any idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's a, it must be quite a common thing. Um, Alison on Twitter said, "What do you think of IELTS as a teacher?" I think I've asked you that. Uh, mm. Some people may argue it's a bit old-fashioned and problematic. Do you think it can really show people's genuine ability? Uh, and then, and then she says, "How do you teach IELTS speaking to the students?" Well, um, what about that question? Do you think that IELTS can really show people's genuine ability? Is it an accurate and reliable test? Um, I'd say yes and no because I've heard stories. I mean, actually, I witnessed this myself back in Spain that the student would speak freely, eloquently, and coherently with me in the classroom. But then they'd go into the examination center and they just fall apart and they couldn't get the, the thoughts in order and the mind was going blank and they really, really struggled. Um, but at the end of the day, like we, I couldn't pull this examiner in to sort of like the room with me when I'm just having a chat with the student, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, and also like students 
ability, um, if we're just talking about the speaking, it's probably the same for the other uh, for the other disciplines as well. But I know for a fact that with my with my Spanish, that some days I'm on fire, you know, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. and I'm replying like everything. I'm cracking jokes in the language. And then maybe a week later, I haven't spoken Spanish for ages. I've just been in, I don't know, just teaching English or whatever, or hanging around English friends. And then I go to the shops and the guy wants to come, we're having a conversation and I'm like, yeah, uh, 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 and my speaking is like, of, you know, it's, it's like a six-year-old. And, uh, and I'm like, what, what is happening here? So I think the question can it really get your true ability? Um, I'd say yes and no. I mean, I, I think the best way to get this is the best way to handle this is just to make sure that you're on point and that you're in form before you go into the exam and that you're actually like at your peak ability to show the, to, yeah, to have the best experience there. Mm. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose you know that it, it's it's a bit of a paradox in the sense that um, when you try to test someone's language ability, the conditions, like the the sort of um, you know the 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 stress, um, the uh, the effective filter, you know, of the stress of the exam can actually cause your language skills to get worse, like it inhibits you and all that sort of thing. But I mean, how can we how can we assess someone's language level uh without the person realizing that they're being assessed it's sort of a, a bit difficult isn't it especially in in a measurable way you need an exam to be fairly short or as short as possible really to make it practical um, mm-hmm. it, it, you know it can't be an assessment that takes place over a number of days or weeks even though that mm-hmm. would probably be a more fair way to do it to observe someone long term over a period to see what their genuine skills are it has to be measurable it's got to be efficient it's got to be practical so that means sitting in a room for a couple of hours uh doing things so yeah that i suppose means that it is to an extent open to other factors like you know how you feel on that particular day or whether Mm -hmm. you're the sort of person who handles stress very well um unfortunately I, i i don't know how it would be possible to avoid those extra factors Mm, I think you, yeah, you said it really um, very accurately when you said there's a paradox and that it's going to be pretty much impossible at the moment to, you know, follow somebody around for a couple of days and just see how they're yeah. interacting. Yeah. Um, but also just in defense of IELTS, like they did design the test in a way, if we're just focusing on the speaking now, yeah. that part one should be soft it should be easy the examiner should be warm they should be welcoming they're asking you easy questions just for you to get comfortable in the environment to get you know and to slowly build your confidence but for some students it's just not enough and they're still not performing the best to the best of their ability and for other students they're you know it's just like water off a duck's back it's like yeah whatever i mean (laughs) you know and incidentally those kinds of students the ones that go in relaxed and confidently, I think it's almost refreshing for the examiner mm. and they usually come out with very good grades. And I've, I know this because I've interviewed them afterwards for my podcast mm. and I could tell on the podcast that they would probably approach, they were just so relaxed and confident with the interview with me that I was like, okay, with the exam, it was probably the same. And this is why he walked out with band eight and even made the examiner smile. You yeah. Know? <laughs> We've got to remember what it's like for the examiner. I think this is always worth saying to our students who, are, who you know, who were, uh, who were preparing for an exam. You've got to put yourself in the shoes of the examiner. And these are examiners who are reading your essays and your pieces of writing and the examiner who's sitting in front of you uh, talking to you during the speaking test for them like for that speaking test examiner they they probably sit in that room all day and it's just you know uh, student after student after student comes through and it can probably get a bit mind numbing for the for the examiners so when they get someone who comes in and who's kind of like quite charming and quite upbeat and a little bit different and you know trying to make a personal connection trying to make the examiner smile you know mm. th- th- those little touches of being 
and you know ultimately this these are good communication skills of like yeah. being able to you know strike up a relationship immediately with the person you're talking to that is those are key differences that are going to uh, you know, um, win over the examiner and probably get you a better score. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you can't see me, but I'm nodding my head when you're saying all this. Yeah. You know, like the the charisma, confidence, sparking a real life interaction with the with the examiner. I think these this obviously isn't on the criteria or the marking criteria, but and as as you just said the examiner is going to be there seeing student after student. So the moment somebody walks in like that, it's just going to be, ah, oh, at last a human being, not an IELTS student. Yeah, you know? yeah definitely. Yeah. I mean, uh, having done it, having done little bits of IELTS examining, not, not real ones, but like mock exams and stuff. Um, that's definitely something I've noticed as an examiner that you, it starts to get a little bit repetitive. So you just need someone to come in and be like, hi, how are you? You know, exactly. it, it can be very nice. Um, so, all right. Um, talking about preparing for IELTS, then, um, what are the most common mistakes or errors that students make regarding IELTS? Right. Um, well, I'll just sort of like start off on a global level and then go down into each discipline, but I'll try and be brief. Um, okay. So, on a global level, it would be a lack of familiarity with the exam format. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if for the listening, you need to know that there is a time for transferring your answers onto the, onto the answer sheet for the speaking. You need to know that it's in three different parts. Also, just as a side note, you need to know that part three is probably going to be borderline infuriating for you because the examiner might be asking you, Mm-hmm. The same question, but worded different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah? yeah. So they might say, um, do you think globalization is um, a, a worrying trend going forward? And the student answers. And, they be, and then the, the examiner might say, why do you think globalization is considered a worrying trend? You know, mm-hmm. so they'll be asking slightly, slightly different questions. But the goal here is for the examiner to really sort of like gorge your ability in expressing the same thing in different ways and also see if you can expand on that so you you know so you're not saying oh i just answered that you know it's like listening to the question getting the real core differences and then trying to express it in a different way so yeah familiarity with the exam and also as we mentioned just before Mm. exam skills the ability to plan to read a question competently and then plan your essay and then write your essay and do it all within 40 minutes for task two and then likewise for task one you know it's just all of these things yeah um so yeah that would be sort of like the overview and then common mistakes for the writing Mm -hmm. and not being aware of like academic writing you know, the amount of essays I see that still have contractions in, that still have like informal spoken language in there, and also the ability to like to paragraph, to write in a succinct way, in a concise way, because what you'll find is that a lot of students, they transfer the writing style of their language. Mm. So mm. for Spanish and Russian and Chinese, it's the style to write in formal, the formal style in the, those countries are really long, flowery sentences, yeah. which probably drive most English teachers bananas when they see them written in English, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, no, you're right. And, and our formal language, especially for doing something like describing a graph, is mm. very pragmatic. It's very sort of keep it short and simple you know, mm. is is the mantra often. Um, mm. Obviously, it's impressive to use complex sentences, but you've got to focus on uh, getting the message across. And often in English, that means, yeah, keeping it pretty simple. That doesn't mean using basic English, but it does mean, you know, making sure that what you're writing is absolutely coherent exactly. ra- rather than impressive in style. Exactly, exactly. And what you just said there about 
um, getting the points across or transferring the information and like um, it's really like a catch-22 because on the one hand they've got to commute the student has to communicate the information in this English style which is good English style is basically concise and succinct and you know clear crystal and clear and clear yeah yeah but on the other side like you just mentioned they should be including some of these complex grammatical structures and also in an accurate fashion. And this is what trips up a lot of students because like the passive, the passive voice isn't the most concise way of communicating information. Mm. However, you do want to see it in your task to essay because it shows you the examiner that you've got a broader grammatical range you know, so yeah. it, it really is difficult. And I think the key to a good, strong essay is finding this balance. Right. And that thing about how in 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 some languages, it's that flowery sort of style with very long sentences. Mm. Um, I, what I notice from students who write like that is that, that, that it comes to a point where the 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 basic sentence structure of english starts to break down when it's mm. when it's subjected to that kind of treatment you know when exactly. when someone is trying to produce the sort of long-winded sentences that they would have in their first language and it's true in french like um i'm in, i'm based in france and i often read um uh, essays written by french uh, learners of english and yeah they're basically doing what they would do in french which is to write these never-ending sentences which are very loaded up at the beginning there's like all this extra information at the beginning of the sentence with all these sort of participle clauses and things which, mm-hmm. which just sort of front load the sentence so much that the whole sentence just capsizes you know it just yeah. sinks <laughs> under its own weight and and i guess that's where the core skills that you were talking about come in which is about basically knowing what the limitations are of english syntax and what the what the um standards are for English syntax and knowing that English sentences don't do this. We don't load up the sentence at the beginning with all sorts of pre sort of clauses before you actually get to the point of the sentence. You know, the, the English uh, grammar has its limitations and, yeah. uh, you, you know, learning the language involves understanding what, what, what are your weapons? What are the weapons you have at your disposal in, in mm-hmm. English grammar? So yeah. yeah, it goes back to the core skills that you were saying. Exactly. And like also when you load up a sentence like this, it's really putting a lot of strain on the reader who has to hold all this information in their brain until they get to at least, I don't know, the middle or near the end of the sentence to like to finish your point, you know, (laughs) and then it's just like, oh, okay. That was the point, but what was the beginning? Because I've forgotten it because it was like three years ago, the sentence. Yeah. And uh, yeah, reader strain is just, um, yeah, I think it's one thing that a writer, um, even native English speakers, um, need to be aware of when, we're, when we want to communicate in the, in the written form. And yeah, I remember a good tutor telling me it's like there's strategies and this only comes like through practice, like but there's ways you can start reorganizing your sentence so we can get to the point clearer and we reduce this reader strain. And yeah, like you said, it goes back to core abilities and your confidence with the language and your ability to move it around and still be able to say what you wanted to say, but in a different fashion. Mm, that I would say that that's where it's worth uh, doing a bit of grammar self-study. And often if you mm-hmm. have, you know, the, those IELTS preparation books or, or, you know, exam preparation books, they will have um, language focused, you know, language analysis sections at the back often where Mm. they kind of focus on certain structures which are particularly important for, you know, Mm. upper intermediate to advanced English. And you've got to master those things. You've got to be able to do sort of negative inversions or you've got to learn relative clauses and how they work. And that stuff can be a bit boring and a bit annoying, but (laughs) it is measurable. There are things that are right and wrong and they're all written down on on that page and 
And then here are the exercises. Just do them until you get them right. And that's it. Those are the that's the palette of structures that you have available to you. You know, so so it's worth Absolutely. doing some, it's worth doing some language practice um, yeah. uh, as well. What you said there about what was it, reader strain. So that's the yeah. idea that um when when someone is reading your essay um the 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 strain on the reader is when they have to work hard to interpret what you're saying um and uh, effect on the reader is actually often a criteria used by cambridge exams i'm not sure if mm. is effect on the reader one of the 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 criteria for for writing in i haven't in seen it I haven't seen it in the public no. versions of the exam criteria for the written one. I know that other Cambridge exams, so IELTS and the other exams like uh, FCE or CAE and, and CPE and, and things like that, which are also basically administered by Cambridge English, they mm. do have similar approaches to the way that they assess them. And I've seen right. effect on the reader is one of the criteria um, that's used in some of the exams. And I think mm. it's a good one to bear in mind. And it's it's something I try to remind my students about, which is basically think about, yeah, you, 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 there's a person who's going to read this. And so mm. you've got to try to make it a pleasant experience for them, which means exactly. making it really clear, making it really easy. Don't try to impress them with like, mm. uh, well, obviously you've, you do have to sort of be impressive to an extent. You've got to try and use the best English that you've got. Yeah. But your focus should be on communicating your message to them. Uh, you mm. know structuring your argument so that it's very persuasive to them or describing yeah. this graph so it's very clear that's got to be your focus rather than hey let me show off my english in in all its flowery <laughs> glory um, exactly yeah, yeah. and like the, the another point just for for the readers for re reducing reader strain like if you front load just exactly like you say if you front load it with a lot of conditions which aren't going to sort of like come clear until the end of the sentence mm. then it's going to be difficult and another way that we can reduce reader strain and this is in the there's I've made an online course for the students who want to pass IELTS, but in the end chapters, because this is kind of like the advanced material, but we talk about using verbs instead of nouns that move, because verbs move the sentence along. They move the reader along mm. and they keep you going, whereas nouns have the effect of a brick wall, you know, when you're reading mm. and they don't, they don't move you along. And also there's like other advanced techniques that we can use, like parallelism and and this is what like you said we don't want to blow the examiner away with all these fancy structures so much that the examiner's got no idea what this essay is about but on the other hand we do want to show a certain level of ability and fluidity and eloquence of our in our writing but we still want to make it and most importantly we want to make it um clear in what we're trying to say because yeah. it, it i think grammar would be like the most important point when it comes to the writing yeah i think that i guess with ielts in the writing paper what they've done that the challenge is to express a complex idea because you know often those graphs in in part one or the essays that you have to argue in part two that is probably quite a complex idea so the challenge is to be able to express complex ideas in a clear uh, and concise manner and that's the challenge that you've got to convert complex mm. stuff into easily digestible um english exactly and this is what trips up a lot of students a lot of students and i think this is probably the third catch-22 we've mentioned so far mm. yeah <laughs> and this is like this is why it can be so frustrating for students but a lot of students they'll see a question like i don't know um the the perils of globalization are becoming ever more clear. Some people believe there's lots of advantages. Others disagree. Uh, discuss both points and use examples in your opinion. Like typical task two question. Now, what happens with a lot of students is that they get they get whisked away into this into the quality of the answer, mm. and so they'll give you lots of very very eligible reasons and logical reasons why globalization might be dangerous but at the end of the day the examiner 
isn't bothered about the quality of your ideas. Yeah. The examiner is only bothered about the quality of your communication. Yeah. And this is such a hurdle for a lot of students to, to get over. And they're like, but I gave the best arguments in the world against globalization. Like, it doesn't matter. It's an English test. It's not yeah. a sociology test. Yeah, we don't care if you're right or wrong. It's just about, exactly. it's about the, way, the way you've communicated that idea. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's no right or wrong answer. The only right answer is a is a well communicated one. Exactly. I mean, of course, it has. You can't be. You know, we can't talk about your dad's garden if you. You know, if you want to answer a question about globalization, it's 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 ridiculous. It has to be on topic. But even then, it. You're not getting extra points if you can recall facts of what happened in China in 1988 or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, I see. Okay. Um, I guess one of the things, uh, since we're on the point of writing and um, effect on the reader and uh, fulfilling the, the requirements of the task, one thing um, is probably to be aware of the marking criteria and see how it mm-hmm. breaks down and understand that task achievement is an important thing, that um, when uh, you have to write an essay question, when you have to write an essay, you have to understand that the examiner is looking for certain things. The examiner is kind of ticking boxes, like, has the person written an introduction? Uh, mm. Have they actually answered the question at the end? Uh, mm. Did they manage to compare both sides of the argument? So understand that you're jumping through hoops and that you've got to understand the requirements of the task and then fulfill them rather than go off on a on a rant about globalization exactly and this is what goes back this goes back to what we were saying before about the familiarity of the exam and a very good way to get familiar is just to have a look at the the pdf which the which shows the criteria and how it's divided into four different disciplines lexical resource cohesion and coherence task achievement or task response and grammatical range and accuracy and just get aware of what's needed and what's required of you mm. and just while we're on this topic um i just want to emphasize that grammar is really important because maybe you can understand what the question wants and maybe you answer it perfectly with all these good reasons which are on topic mm. and maybe you've got some really good vocabulary in there and maybe your ideas are all expressed in a coherent and logical fashion which are all which is all necessary for the for the exam but if your grammar is a train crash all the rest is irrelevant so you mean if, you know? if for example you're getting your basic subject verb agreement wrong if you're writing uh you know uh, i don't know what it what it would be people is or something like that yeah 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 it's going to be all incomprehensible all this beautiful vocabulary all these very on top on topic arguments it's all just going to be completely wasted because the, the grammar car, uh, the examiner can't read a single word of your argument or just get a brief idea mm. you know they're not even going to be able to see that you what you're arguing because you couldn't express it in a clear way so this is why grammar is fundamental and getting feedback from um, a tutor or a native speaker is is essential so you're talking about the importance of getting feedback from someone so that mm. kind of brings us into the next uh, set of questions i've got here which is basically like how do people prepare for IELTS and I've got a question from uh, Ash Raffle on Facebook that said how do you prepare well for IELTS Eduardo on Facebook said hi I'm doing the test soon could you give me a study plan for me to follow and uh, Nguyen Dui Huang Min whose name I probably just uh, got completely wrong um, (laughs) wrote what are the best ways to self-study IELTS writing and speaking um, so what's the best IELTS preparation strategy for self-study students and non-self-study students then? Right. So you'll have to wait for part two of this episode to hear what Ben has to say about preparing correctly for IELTS. This is the end of part one. Remember, if you're interested in using Ben's online course 
for getting ready for IELTS, which is called Jump to Band 7 or It's Free. If you're interested in using that course, go to IELTSpodcast.com and use the code LUKE15 at checkout to get a 15% discount. So we'll leave the episode here and you can pick up the rest of the conversation in the next part. Um, so that's pretty much it. But uh, by the way, there was a... Uh, uh, a short, quiet period uh, during February, sort of at the end of the month, uh, where there weren't many podcasts. And that's because I was uploading a lot of uh, Luke's English Podcast Premium episodes. I recently published about eight uh, parts across two episodes. And there are now over 30 full episodes with tons of vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation, focusing on teaching you the most common phrases and talking points in English and how to say them all clearly and fluently. So I really kind of break the language down. It's it's language that comes up in episodes of the podcast. I break the language down that's been used and often go off, use that as a starting point to teach you lots of other connected language. And, you know, it's sort of like mind mapping, you start from one idea and it sort of leads you into a whole area of associated vocabulary. Hopefully it helps you to remember them more easily. Um, and so, yeah, there are now premium episodes about language which came up naturally in conversations I've recorded for the podcast. Recently, I did ones about the episode I did on Paul Chowdhury. In the premium pipeline, so upcoming episodes, I have episodes about the conversation with James that I had lately. So I picked out language from that. Also, my conversation with Jessica from English Across the Pond. And also this episode with Ben. I've been noting extracts, vocabulary, grammar, phrasal verbs, idioms as we go. And so that will be an episode as well at some point. To sign up for Luke's English Podcast Premium, just go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. And all the details are there. It's the equivalent of a cup of coffee a month from you to me. That's less than 10 cents a day. I think it's pretty good value, I'd say. So right, in any case, I hope you're doing well in podcast land. Here's a fun fact. I've been using different microphones while recording episodes recently. All of the, the premium episode 11, all of those parts were, were with different mics each time. And, this, and the one that I'm using now isn't a usual mic I do for these intros and outros. And it's a different mic to the one that I was using in the conversation with Ben. So I've been using different mics all the time. And my question is, so outside of IELTS, can you even notice a difference in the sound because I'm using a different microphone? Um, can you actually tell? the difference between the different mics I use, or does it all sound basically the same? Let me know in the comments section. I did do an episode all about the way I make the podcast and the microphones and all the recording equipment. I did do an episode about that. I think it's somewhere around episode 400 and something, and it's called How I Make Episodes of the Podcast, and I go into all the technical stuff, and I even compare different microphone sounds. But anyway, I was just wondering, can you hear the difference between the different microphones I'm using uh, let me know. And if you can't hear any difference, then that's good. That's actually a good sign. It means that I'm able to keep fairly consistent sound quality across all of the episodes because I basically use the same setup, but with different microphones. And they all sort of behave in different ways. There's lots of technical stuff about microphones these days and how they have different like polar patterns and frequency responses and things like that, which I don't really understand. So anyway, let me know if you can hear a difference. And the IELTS conversation will continue in the next episode in part two. But for now, it's just time to say thank you for listening to my podcast and goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.